What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. This podcast contains adult language and stories of true crime. If you don't like laughing, crying, or being horrified at the actions of other humans, this podcast is not for you. everyone. Welcome to Resolve Mysteries. This is part two of season three, episode 18. If you missed part one, it's there in the feed, so go listen to it first. And if you have no idea who we are and you're super lost, this is the show where we rewatch, recap, and give you the latest updates on cases featured on the show Unsolved Mysteries. I'm Allison. I'm Eliza. And I'm Carlin. We just switched to a weekly format if you're just catching up with us. So um, ladies, what are you guys talking about this episode? This episode, I have a Legends segment of the one, the only, Butch Cassidy. And we've got a Lost Loves about Aletha Everts and her siblings. Awesome. All right, let's do it. Okay, y'all, this is a Legends segment, and we've got Butch Cassidy ready for your ears. So I was not excited about this segment because I'm like, I don't care about white guys robbing people. <laughs> I don't care about the Wild West unless I'm watching Westworld. I just don't care. But I was pleasantly surprised once I did some research, as I said in the introduction. This is the real Westworld, baby. This is the baby. <laughs> okay, so this is going to go all sorts of ways because I was also able to research by watching another show and listening to a podcast and watching a documentary. Yes, honey. I would like to raise my hand and congratulate all three of us on doing an awesome job this episode. Oh, truly. (laughs) We're killing it. Okay, this this episode is going to win us a Peabody, I think. (laughs) Us being the mouthpiece and bringing other people's research they've already done into one platform this is going to be the one that wins us. That's I mean, I can't wait. <laughs> let's be honest. Isn't that what true crime podcasting is all oh, about? Oh, God, of course. <laughs> Come on. But has a true crime podcast ever won a Peabody? Now oh, that's no. a question. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if uh, Serial did. Oh, I could see that. But, they, you know, that's different. They're, okay. They're journalists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't see the difference, actually. They're not <laughs> drinking Corona in their bedroom while talking about <laughs> <How> Butch <dare> <laughs> <you>? <laughs> Underneath a pile of cats. 
<laughs> they don't even have cats. <laughs> okay. So Stack opens the segment by telling us that the names Robert Leroy Parker and Harry Alonzo Longabot don't often ring a bell. That's because they're better known as the legendary outlaws from the late 1800s, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yes. Paul Newman and Robert Redford starred in the celebrated film about their final days. Have you have either of you seen it? I haven't either. I, that was my last thing I wanted to watch. Oh, but what a delicious combination. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, those hottie, Hollywood hotties. Stack says, the movie, like history, tells us that Butch and Sundance died in a shootout in South America. But some believe that Hollywood and history may be wrong. There is evidence that Butch Cassidy returned to the United States and died of natural causes. So at this point in the segment, we're about 10 seconds in, and I'm thinking, wait a second, I don't know anything about Butch Cassidy except that he robbed trains, and I don't care that he might still have been alive if I don't know anything about his backstory. Like, they really didn't talk about it at all. Yeah. At all. I guess back then, <laughs> everyone knew. Everyone knew. I know. It was much closer to the Wild West back in the 80s. <laughs> It was, in fact, 80 years away, so. <laughs> I mean, but the movie had, like, recently, you know, in, in the last 20 years or 10 years or whatever it was, had recently come out, so. That's true. It's true. It was more in the zeitgeist. That's true. So I needed to care, so I did some <laughs> research, and I'm going to fill in now before we head back into the UM segment. That's Love great, because I need to care as well. Okay, great. I already care, for the record. <laughs> wow. I'm here for it. I love the Wild West. Have you ever seen Tombstone? Deadwood? It's amazing. Oh, gosh. My partner loves Deadwood. Ooh, loves him too. some Deadwood. Um, so in my research, I found out a few interesting things. Uh, Robert Leroy Parker, who is Butch Cassidy, was born on April 13th, 1866 in Beaver, Utah Territory. He was the first of 13 children of British immigrants Maximilian Parker and Anne Campbell Gillies. And they were, his parents had converted to the Mormon faith while they were still living in the UK. And then they moved to Utah. <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, there were Mormons in the UK back Oh, then? well, haven't you ever heard of Mormon missionaries, honey? Oh, okay. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if they had missionaries then, but probably I mean, how else did they get to the UK? I mean, a lot of why Utah is settled by so many Mormons is because of them converting and then going there as like, that's yeah. where they're all going to be. So Interesting. So Robert Parker, Butch Cassidy, grew up on his parents' ranch near Circleville, about 215 miles south of Salt Lake City. And he took a job at the age of 13 at a nearby ranch to help support the family because they had very little money. They're moving there in the mid-1800s. It's not <laughs> this bustling place by any means. It's like desolate and dry and learning to, like starting your own ranch with soil not being right you know like crop preparation is such a huge scientific thing i don't know how anyone survived in these days honestly mm -mm. <laughs> allison is from new jersey and she is looking at me like i am crazy she's I... like i don't want to hear the word crops ever in my yeah. life <laughs> i'm like how is there not a city there just waiting for your immigrant ass like my <laughs> yes <laughs> truly it looks horrible they they showed pictures 
of in this documentary I watched, and it just was like, this is hell. This is truly my hell. Oh, honey. (laughs) So he gets this job on a nearby ranch. His family didn't have a lot of money, and he's working on this ranch, and he meets a cattle thief that also works on the ranch, and his name is Mike Cassidy. And Mike Cassidy was sort of like his big brother slash best friend. They got along really well. Mike Cassidy sort of like showed him the ropes, quote unquote, on like living the cowboy life and being a horseman, um, but also like how you have to steal sometimes to get what you need and was just sort of a mentor to him. So that's where the last name Cassidy comes from for Butch Cassidy, which was one of the first things I was curious about. Huh. And then he just like adopted this man's last name. And then throughout time, his teenage years, he worked on several ranches um, in addition to a brief apprenticeship with a butcher in Rock Springs, Wyoming. And something that that's where he got his nickname butch from working at a butcher shop cool and his we'll get into it but his name's butch sounded very like oh he must be such a bro (laughs) 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 asshole (laughs) but he's not he's kind of a honey oh my god i love this okay so here's one way he's a honey he had ridden his horse like seven miles or something really far to get to a shop in town and people aren't sure exactly what age he would have been but in his teenage years maybe around 14 and he needs some some say it was jeans some say it was a pair of overalls but he rides all this way and he gets there and the shop is closed and he's like i've ridden all this way and i need them jeans and so he breaks into the um, clothing shop. He takes the clothes that he needs, and but he leaves them an IOU, promising to pay when he's like next by the shop. But Promise. the sheriff of the town doesn't like this and tracks him down, and that's sort of his first like run in with the law. Well, a town can't run on IOUs, honey. I mean, it's true. Although I think IOUs were a lot more common yeah, then. <laughs> for sure. True. And like travel wasn't as easy. <laughs> so he's like, this literally took me all day. I'm taking these clothes that I need. <laughs> so one of the pot, the podcast I mentioned is called Most Notorious. And they did an Yay. episode on Butch Cassidy. And they have Charles Hearson on, who wrote a book called Butch Cassidy, The True Story of an American Outlaw. And Hearson really seemed to think that Butch Cassidy did mean to pay the shopkeeper back and that he had traveled miles to get to the shop and he just wanted those overalls or whatever they were. So he's, in all of his research, of Cassidy thinks he was like a well-meaning person. Um, also, like, grew up Mormon, really strict family with... You know, they mostly only learned the Bible, so so you'd think maybe they had been taught good values. Like, that's one of the things that people say about him is that Mm. he grew up so entrenched in religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some ways, he wanted to get away from that, but also he did have that background. Like, it's not like he was raised by outlaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some of them are. Mm Mm-hmm. Hearson also says, so this author, um, although Butch Cassidy would eventually go on to rob trains and banks, he is not known to have ever killed a man during his time in the States, which is like unheard of for outlaws. Yeah. He also forbid his gang called the Wild Bunch to use guns. (laughs) Yep, they're called the The Wild Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, he often stole from large corporations. So once he's like going as an outlaw, um, the railroad, mining companies, the banks. Um, Hearson gives a little context about the time, and he said, if you were a homesteader in Wyoming and a large cattle company wanted your land, they might just take the dad out of the house and shoot him and make the family leave and take that land from you. Oh, my God. Like, it's the Wild West in not just that outlaws are doing what they want. It's that corporations are just stealing, and it started then. (laughs) Like, it's not Jeez. different now. Oh. It's funny because you think that they would govern themselves, but I guess not. Ah, look at how that doesn't work out. <laughs> um, Ever. <laughs> so Cassidy and his gang were fighting against the power that corporations had. Hearson also said that although Cassidy wasn't a true Robin Hood type since he didn't directly give the money to the poor but he sort of was because after he would rob a train or a bank, they would all celebrate in town, gambling, buying drinks for everyone, and you know, spending time with women and basically putting money back into, into the, the local economy. economy. Wow. <laughs> um, and it made me realize too, like it's not like these guys can save up their money and eventually retire and buy a big house. Like they're going to mm. be on the run forever and they know that and yeah. so they're going to and they also can't be just carrying around tons and tons of cash. Like they spend it. Yeah. And then I also thought it was so interesting um I learned from a documentary I watched, which I'll talk about in a second, that many times the locals were on the outlaws side as especially the wild bunch because they were they just wanted to steal from big companies. Like it's said that they would get onto trains and people would be really scared and like start handing over their wallets. And Butch Cassidy would say, we don't want your money. We want their money. Wow. I know. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Are you smitten or what? Oh my God. I am full on in love. (laughs) You're speaking her language. (laughs) So, but the locals, knowing, you know, this kind of lore about them, and they were so hurt by the big corporations and by the railroads and everything that they were like, yeah, we like what you're doing. Hurt them. That's great. And they'd often make them meals, invite them back to their houses to stay for a night while they're on the run until they can get to their next place. Wow. And then often the money, like a little bit of money that um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, who I'll talk about in a bit, um, would leave behind would be enough to like save their ranch for another little while. I know. Oh my God. I know. Okay, so one train robbery that was depicted in the documentary that I watched, which is called The Last Outlaws, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, It's on Amazon Prime. It's pretty good. I found it when I was looking for the film starring uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman, but that's not available for streaming. It's only available for rent, and I just couldn't spend the $3.99. I I can look at pictures and get an idea. (laughs) It's not not like we have an account for that or anything. (laughs) It was also last night, and I decided, you know, I think this documentary will help me with my research more than this fictionalized movie will. (laughs) So I had to choose. Good call. So the robbery that they open with sort of in this documentary is called the Wilcox robbery. 
And in this train robbery, Butch Cassidy and his gang stood on the tracks holding a lantern in front of the train. And so this like signals for the train to stop. And the train stops thinking like possibly they're being warned about tracks or an issue up ahead. Um, Like maybe it's railroad workers trying to warn them. But of course, everyone on the train is nervous because it's not normal for a train to just stop in the middle of the desert. But when the robbers board the train, they actually engineer, like separate the engine car from the passenger cars. And knowing that that's where the safe was kept. Oh, my God. Then they blow up the engine car Uh. with so much dynamite, like too much. They didn't need it to be that much. There are pictures of the train after it's blown up. But they separated the passenger cars so, like, that they would not get hurt. (laughs) And there's just money flying. They are able to make away with $50,000, which in today's money is, like, a million dollars. Oh my gosh. And no one was hurt and all of that. Um, so in another robbery that the author Hearson talked about, they had all the passengers get off the train and then they blew it up. <laughs> wow. But they were like, you can get off first, which is like, yeah, they're not heartless. Nice. They're, yeah. So at this point, they're gaining more notoriety, and the Pinkerton National Detective Agency gets involved. Mm, Yeah. And I didn't know that the Pinkerton logo, which just has an eye on it that says, we never sleep, that's Mm -hmm. where the Uh. term private eye came from. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I know. Because they're a private detective agency. They're like the first one, but they have offices all over there, it's such an interesting time historically because technology is improving. So the telegraph helps them, which also, how the hell do you read a telegraph? And what if they make a mistake? How do you say, oops, typo, start over on a telegraph? How do you do I don't that? Know. I think there was just a lot of miscommunication back then. <laughs> Honestly. Um, so. Yeah, they're able to, like, communicate quickly and get to work. So after this Wilcox robbery where they had stolen so much money, of course, the railroad companies are pissed. And they're like, "We ha- this has to stop happening. We want our trains to be safe, but mostly they just want their money. Mm-hmm. So the corporations hire the agency, and Pinkerton was actually used by Lincoln during the Civil War to spy on Confederate forces. Whoa. I have a book for you about the first female Pinkerton. Oh, cool. Yeah. This woman named Kate. She actually went and she helped work with Lincoln because she was cool. a woman, so no one suspected her. So they acted yes. like um, she was Mary Todd's maid. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Wow. How far back does it go? I think it was around this time like it's it probably started i don't know when was the civil war what years they were established 1850 okay oh that sounds fun i want to read that book Mm. so after the wilcox robbery the pinkerton agency had over 100 men looking for the wild bunch in that area they used the most modern techniques and began tracking the serial numbers for the bills they had stolen And I was like, how did they do that? But I guess they they sent the serial numbers to banks, hotels, other businesses that could check. And then those businesses would check 
their bills coming in against the ones that were stolen. Yeah. I think that's how they still do it when they track. Okay. I didn't know if now it was just like it got – it just immediately gets – put into a system? I don't know. So for nine months, they track these bills, and they are coming up with a trail of where the Wild Bunch has probably gone, and they notice some popping up in New Mexico. And Butch Cassidy is there, posing as a ranch hand, but he gets tipped off before the Pinkertons can close in on him. So he then goes to Fort Worth, Texas, and meets the rest of the Wild Bunch there. And they pose for a picture. This is an infamous picture. You, if, you, if you don't think you've seen it, you've probably seen it, of five of them. And uh, the Sundance Kid is also in it. We'll post it, of course. Um, but when the photographer puts the picture in his window, just like as an advertisement for his portfolio, an officer walks by and recognizes one of the gang members, mm. which I'm like... I mean, photography is not widespread at this time, so maybe they just didn't think of it. But it's like, you don't get your picture taken. Don't do that. <laughs> You're on the run. Yeah. <laughs> like, at this point, I don't think many people knew necessarily what they looked like. The Pinkerton Agency was, like, writing down descriptions of them. Mm-hmm. But they did not have photographs of right. them. Right. <laughs> So now they do. The Pinkertons take this uh, photograph. They're putting it in newspapers. They're making copies of it. Now every detective has a picture of all of these guys, and they know exactly what they look like. So this really turns things for them for the worse. So this makes Sundance and Cassidy realize that they need to get out. So they decide to escape to Argentina, And Sundance's girlfriend, Etta Place, goes with them. And her name's Ethel Place. But she went by Etta. And she's a total mystery. And I really want to do a short stack on her. I Mm -hmm. wanted to put more in about her in this segment. But then I was able to find enough. Um, So first, the three of them go to New York City. And in the documentary, it's really cool because it shows you know, reenactments of them, like, just blending in with wealthy bankers and businessmen and all the people they've been stealing from mm. the whole time. Love it. Oh, it's so good. And and they have money because they have mm-hmm. saved up money. Uh-huh. And so they're able to spend things with everyone, drink with everyone, and no one knows who they really are. Oh, my uh. God. And then Etta... And Sundance even get a picture taken together, posing as a married couple, of course, because they wouldn't probably wouldn't have taken their picture otherwise. Um, and I'll, we'll post that picture. And they even go to Tiffany's and buy her a fancy watch. Ooh. Honey, hi, Roland. Honey. <laughs> so then they spend a few days in New York, and um, eventually they board a steamship to Argentina. Meanwhile, they had asked other members of the Wild Bunch, like, you should come with us. Things are closing in. We can't hide anymore. And no one else wanted to go with them. And eventually all of them are caught, and many of them are killed. One of them even dies by suicide instead of being taken in. Wow. Um, And if they're not killed, they are taken to prison. So that probably would have been um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kids' fate as well. Hmm. So two years go by in Argentina. Etta, Cassidy, and Sundance have built a four-bedroom home, started a ranch with 300 heads of cattle, made friends, and settled into a quiet life. 
Then a letter one of them sends home to the States gets intercepted. And suddenly, the Pinkertons, who have not stopped looking for them, know exactly where they oh, are. No. no! It's so frustrating. Um, so they immediately tell the Argentine authorities that there are highly wanted men in their area. And Sundance and Cassidy hear about this, and they realize we have to leave everything behind and go on the run again. Mm. Uh. They've worked so hard. They've established a whole farm. Yes. God. Um, And then it's at this point in history that Etta Place completely disappears. No one knows what happened to her. Did she stay in Argentina? Maybe, but she would have been, she would have, they stuck out. They're white in this country. So I don't know. There are many theories, so that's kind of why I want to do a short stack about it. Fun. But she doesn't go with them on the run. She just disappears. Huh. Or maybe goes on her own on the run. <laughs> maybe they're like, yeah, Let's split up. Right. Huh. So as the documentary puts it, technology catches up with all bandits and Wild West gangs, which is why Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are two of the last. Not only are high-speed trains going in instead of, like, the typical slow trains that they could literally stop with a lantern. Like, that's not <laughs> happening anymore with these high-speed trains. <laughs> and then trains are also being guarded by armed guards. The telegraph allows for quick communication from city to city, which makes it harder to hide. And this is especially the case for Cassidy and Sundance, who begin to steal again in Argentina as they run from authorities. Um, but the telegraph can get to Argentina too. And so, Hmm. and vice versa. So they know the authorities are closing in on them. So they cross the border into Bolivia, but descriptions of them have spread everywhere in that country as well. Hmm. Um, and they don't know these trails or this country or this land like they did in the states yeah so it's also them doing what they knew how to do but in a totally different area and also they barely spoke the language and they stuck out because they were white wow so in bolivia they're holed up in this house and the mayor of the town of san vicente which is where they were hears that there are two white men there and they send an official to question the men And according to the documentary, which I hadn't heard this before, um, Butch Cassidy actually sees this authority outside with his gun, and he fires at the soldier and kills him. And this is thought to be the only person he ever killed. Now Now the whole town surrounds the house, and they're all heavily armed, and a gun battle ensues. And then gunshots go quiet from inside the house, but no one wants to go inside until daylight. And the next morning, when locals enter, they find Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid dead. And the documentary said, this is also the first time I had heard this, from an apparent murder-suicide. So um, the Sundance Kid had a bullet hole that went from one temple to the other. Or sorry, in I think his was in his forehead, and Butch Cassidy's was temple to temple. So Cassidy killed Sundance and then killed himself. Mm. Wow. Um, and there's, I have a little more information about that a little later. So this is where the UM segment picks up, and it's like you have to say more. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, whatever. I'm glad the segment wasn't longer, I guess, but also I don't care about this William Phillips guy unless I know anything about Butch Cassidy. So. Um, we're back to UM. 
So two years after Butch and Sundance were supposedly killed, a man named William Thaddeus Phillips arrived in Spokane, Washington. Um, Because where else does anyone ever go? Of course. (laughs) So Phillips opened a successful machine shop and became a prominent businessman. According to writer James Delenti, Phillips was a man without a past. Mm. So Delenti says in UM, the first definitive record of William Phillips was his marriage certificate dated May 14, 1908. There is no other previous record of William Phillips. About 1922, the first reports began circulating in the West that Butch Cassidy had returned, and people began to say that Butch Cassidy was William Phillips. So there are some people that see a resemblance between William Phillips and Butch Cassidy. But if Phillips was Cassidy, then how did the outlaw escape from Bolivia? So according to some historians, the account of how Butch and Sundance died can be credited to one man, Percy Siebert. So Siebert had worked with the outlaws at a tin mine in Bolivia and became friends with them. And he was the one who was asked by authorities to identify the bodies. And they show this in the UM segment, this reenactment. Writer Larry Pointer, and he's the writer who really drives this segment, and he's the one that is putting forth this theory that William T. Phillips is actually Butch Cassidy. He thinks that Siebert deliberately lied So he says, I believe that Percy told the story of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid's death in Bolivia to pay back what he felt was a debt of loyalty and friendship to allow these outlaws to begin a life under amnesty without a past, which is kind of a nice thought. Like, that would be a cool thing to do if... And he probably, you know, whatever, if this really happened, he probably walked into that room. I imagine them pulling back the blankets to show their faces and he, him realizing, oh, my God, that's not them. But I'm going to say it is, which yeah. is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, if that happened. Um, so Larry Pointer is convinced that Butch Cassidy took on the identity of William Phillips. As Phillips, he returned to the Wyoming mountains where Butch and his outlaw gang had once been. Um, the other writer, James Delenti, says he's heard firsthand reports about Phillips. Quote, we know the man who went with Phillips to Wyoming in 1933. This man died recently, but we have interviewed him. He was there all summer with Phillips, and he met all the old timers that Phillips met. And in almost every case, these old timers accepted Phillips as Cassidy. Huh. Then we have writer Dan Buck. And he has researched the life and death of Butch Cassidy, and he is convinced that William Phillips was just an imposter, so wasn't actually Cassidy. And he says, old-timer stories are always the most interesting and the least reliable. The William Phillips story is chock full of old-timer tales, people that claim they were good friends with Cassidy and knew Phillips was Cassidy. And he makes a good point. Usually when it's asked by someone... Only when prompted. So they might say, well, you were a good friend of Butch Cassidy's, weren't you? And of course the answer is going to be yes, because who wants to say no? Yeah. True. So in Wyoming, Phillips met a woman named Mary Boyd Rhodes. And in 1934, Mary and her 16-year-old granddaughter, Ione, rode out to Phillips' campsite. And we've got Ione, of course, as an old woman, um, as a talking head, telling us this story. And she says... 
The man that my grandmother met that day was going by the name of William Phillips, and she knew him by the name of Leroy George Parker, who is known as Butch Cassidy. His birth name was Robert Leroy Parker. But then in this segment, so many people are saying George and passing that off like it's regular, so I don't know. (laughs) But she says it with a twinkle in her eye, like... As soon as I say Leroy George Parker, you're going to know that I mean Butch Cassidy, and isn't that exciting? (laughs) Um, She says, he recognized her immediately, which, of course, he would if he's trying to pretend he's someone that Mm -hmm. she knew. Yeah. And she recognized him. I sensed they had a relationship that I had never known much about, so my grandmother had finally told me that he was her childhood sweetheart. So three years later, Phillips mailed a ring to Mary, and it was engraved, George C. to Mary B. Phillips died soon afterwards. Dan Buck believes that Phillips pretended to be Cassidy just for the fun of it. (laughs) So he says he traveled out to the West, he met some people, he probably got some free beers, he certainly got a lot of adventures out of it. (laughs) But some people have recently done photo comparisons of the two, and establish that they have different heads and different faces. Just different heads. (laughs) Just entirely different heads. (laughs) He says, this is my favorite, and it's true. Cassidy basically had small features on a big head (laughs) (laughs) with a lantern jaw, and Phillips had normal features with a more or less pointed chin. And his head was basically an inch or more lower than Butch Cassidy's. <laughs> and they do, we'll post these, but they show like, you know, grids on the faces. And they're truly just different people. Like, no, 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 this guy's it. head is too low. <laughs> it's too low. And the features on the other guy, too small. <laughs> um, A big but, head, small face is unfortunate. I've seen it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's unfortunate. But several other clues, apparently, suggest that Butch and Phillips were one and the same. Phillips wrote a manuscript called The Bandit Invincible, the story of Butch Cassidy. Mm. According to the first author we heard from, James Delenti, it contains specific details about Butch's adventures that nobody else could have known. Which, how do you... (laughs) prove that if you also know it then you knew it (laughs) or if you didn't know it then the guy just made it up this is so silly um so then um which i love when um's like let us try to help so they bring in a handwriting expert named sheila Lowe, and she analyzes butch cassidy's writing against the manuscript written by phillips Mm. because some of them are thinking well, Phillips, you know, wrote this manuscript as Phillips telling stories about the bandit, but he he would only know it if he were Butch Cassidy. So she compares them, and she says they are exactly the same. Mm. Now, <laughs> I disagree, um, and we'll post a picture of that, but also I'm not a graphologist, which is what that's called as a handwriting expert. She's also, she's got her light table, honey. She's overlaying those two handwriting samples. She says they perfectly match up, but I don't really think that they do. 
Um, so Phillips owned, he also owned this six-shot Colt revolver, and carved into the pistol grip was a unique brand. Larry Pointer, again, who's the one that is driving this whole theory, says it's significant. Quote, that brand was the reverse E box E. That was Butch Cassidy's brand in the 1890s, which maybe he just carved that in there because he knew that was his brand. <sighs> okay, so that's that's where the segment basically leaves off. It's It's asking a question that no one really cares about because it's not... They've proved that they proved by showing those pictures to us that Phillips is not Butch Cassidy. Like they solved their own mystery. I think there's other more interesting mysteries around this. Like where did Etta Place go? I wish yeah. they had talked about that. Okay, so I have some research to follow up with. In 1993, a forensic anthropologist believes that skeletal remains found in Bolivia are those of Butch Cassidy. Hmm. There's also evidence that Cassidy shot Sundance in the head and then killed himself after both were probably gravely wounded in the gun battle. So maybe after they had been shot but weren't dead yet, and they're just like, let's just end this. It's over anyway. Okay. So that was another piece that said it was maybe a murder-suicide, which was interesting. And I read in something else, too, that, like, they could tell based on the shattering of the um, skull. Hmm. So this anthropologist, whose last name is Snow, was trying to solve this mystery. And do you remember the – or have you ever seen – I think it's still on – the show Nova? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The BBC? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was – do examining these um skeletal remains for nova mm. oh cool but i couldn't find that like segment and then we see dan buck again in this article who was in um he's mm-hmm. the naysayer who, who was trying to say no phillips is not cassidy mm-hmm. and he's um working with snow trying to help debunk the theory so it's kind of fun to see like their same names pop up mm-hmm. He says, quote, there's more than 50 different accounts ranging from them getting killed in Paris, France, Mexico, Uruguay, Bolivia, a dozen different places in the U.S., twice in the same year in Spokane. <laughs> Spokane? Oh um, he says, we're certain two English-speaking bandits were killed because that's what the records say in Bolivia he's talking about. Mm-hmm. There is circumstantial evidence they were using aliases Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were known to have had. And a longtime resident of the community um, had told them that they were buried in the grave that we dug up. Oh. Seems pretty solid. (sighs) Yeah. So this is 93. So they're, like, pretty optimistic. Mm -hmm. So then in 2000, then what I could find in 2014 Um, I found an article about Larry Pointer, and Larry Pointer has self-published a new book called Butch Cassidy's Story, Bandit Invincible, in which Pointer does something remarkable, admits he was wrong. So in this new book, Pointer has found compelling proof about the true identity of William T. Phillips. He was, in fact, William T. Wilcox, who probably rode with Butch and possibly knocked off a bank or two with him Mm -hmm. and undoubtedly swapped stories around campfires with Butch. Oh, cool. But he was not Butch Cassidy. Okay. 
But he yeah. was still like a, yeah, he knew a wild him. bunch. He was in the wild bunch. And he's trying to escape and he's going to keep his same name and he's going to use stories kind of yeah. that Butch had. But it's funny because he's trying to be like, no, I'm William Phillips, guys. And everyone's like, no, you're Butch Cassidy. And he's like, <laughs> I'm trying to be one fake person and now you're (laughs) making me into this legend fake person like the funniest thing about it is that he never says I'm Butch Cassidy like he's not even trying to say that yeah Pointer's earlier book In Search of Butch Cassidy made a sensation in 1977 when it made the case that Butch changed his name went straight and lived out his life as a quiet Spokane machinist The new book (laughs) has made a different kind of sensation. Quote, the toughest thing I had to do was go down to Lander, Wyoming and do a book signing and say I was wrong, said Pointer 72. He said the response has covered the gamut. Some people still cling to Pointer's original conclusion. Some believe he is disingenuous for changing his mind and plenty believed he was wrong all along. Pointer isn't as broken up about this as you might think because he doesn't believe that history is a competition or an argument. History, he said, is simpler. It is what is there. And during the last three years, he found two pieces of evidence that turned his theory on its head. The first was a manuscript and the second was a prison mugshot. The manuscript was something Phillips wrote, which I already mentioned, toward the end of his life in Spokane. It was called Bandit Invincible, and it was an account of Butch Cassidy's life as told by a man who had, quote, known Butch since early boyhood. Phillips seems to have written it in hope of stirring some interest from Hollywood, which obviously never came to fruition for him, but the handwritten manuscript was not stylistically polished and was jammed with authentic and sympathetic details about Cassidy's life. Obviously, we had already known about this manuscript, and they had gotten the handwriting analyst to say, yes, this is definitely Butch Cassidy. Now, Pointer is sort of using this manuscript as it makes sense that he is actually William T. Wilcox, who did spend time with Butch Cassidy, which it's like, didn't you consider that from the beginning instead of just going all in on your other theory? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, okay, so... The mugshot that he finds is of Wilcox, and he lines up William T. Phillips and William Wilcox pictures, and they're identical. Like, the Butch Cassidy and the Phillips guy didn't look the same. Literally different faces and different heads, (laughs) but it took Pointer finding a picture of Wilcox Mm -hmm. to say, oh my god, that is the guy that is Phillips that I've been thinking this whole time. And he says, I remember, he remembers the day vividly in 2011 when he found the mugshot. When that image appeared on my computer, it was a kick in the pit of my stomach. Mm -hmm. There was no question in my mind that I was looking at an image of William T. Phillips, Mm. which like good for him for believing something for that long and not doubling down, but realizing he He made a mistake wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And telling everybody about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 2011, the belief that William T. Phillips and Butch Cassidy were the same person was finally put to rest. Larry Pointer was able to find new information. Like I mentioned, witnesses from that time claimed to have seen Wilcox and Cassidy together, disproving the belief that they were the same person. Like, if William Phillips is William Wilcox, then Wilcox and Cassidy were together. They could not be the same person. Yes. (laughs) Um, 
But yeah, <laughs> Pointer still believes that Butch Cassidy survived the shootout and did come to the United States. Oh, so, <laughs> so he's, he's holding still... on to that. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm almost done. So then the documentary writers and like talking heads, they kind of say – This is what happens with legends. Like, Mm -hmm. nobody wants their legends to die, so they want the narrative to go on, and they make up, you know, these fantastical stories Mm -hmm. about them. And just the way word spreads in that time, too. Like you said, miscommunications, (laughs) and also just it's already a a made-up story that's getting blown out of proportion over and over, and... Um, and it's like so impossible yeah, the, to prove anything anyway. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the documentary was like, no, he died there. And it's hard for people to accept that, mm-hmm. but he did. Mm-hmm. And it's not as fun of a story either. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but like I said, I really was most interested when I first started researching this in Etta Place and other women that were associated with the Wild Bunch because um, there were a few of them. Oh, yeah. And just like an outlaw woman in general mm. is such a fun thing to think love about. It. So we love it. So um, I might save that for a grab bag short stack. Yeah, but that is the story it. of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I, I guess I took some of the stuff out about the Sundance Kid. But um, so first, I didn't know that Robert Redford started Sundance Film mm-hmm. Festival. Oh. Yes. And he named it after his character. Oh, I love it. Don't you love it? I, I did love not it know that. So I was just much. wondering if there was any connection. Yes. Do we know why he was called Sundance? That is less known. All I could find was that he got that name after um, being in prison for a while. (laughs) But it's unclear. Huh. How? I know, it's because it's a pretty name. And then Kid was a really common name, like Billy the Kid. Mm -hmm. That was was kind of a name for, like, guy or boy or kind of troublemaker a little bit so it sounds funny to our ears Mm -hmm. because it sounds like oh he's just a kid but it's it wasn't really used like that then interesting yeah nice job that's it loved it bang 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 (laughs) except no no bang bangs they didn't do that Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere wear with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus so our fourth segment is a lost loves and it is about aletha everts and it takes place in lakewood colorado in 1960 stock says another day begins for the smith family Once again, five-year-old Aletha is left alone to care for her younger brothers and sister. Mm, Five. Five. It's too sad. 
Yeah, this one's really sad. So Aletha is interviewed, and she sa- and she's an adult in the interview. She says, we would wake up in the morning and be alone, and Richard and I would go in and get Marty and Noreen out of bed. Richard was four, Marty was around three, and Noreen just about two. So this is over top a reenactment of little five-year-old Aletha pulling the two-year-old out of the crib. Mm. She says, sometimes she'd just about fall, but we got her out. <sighs> it was like the whole family working on trying to get this little kid out of the crib. Ugh. She says, we'd make peanut butter toast, and that was breakfast. Aletha says she remembers giving Noreen bottles and asking Marty to stop sucking his thumb. It was empty, but we were afraid. I know I was. Stack explains to us that Aletha's parents got married as teenagers, unprepared for the challenges of raising a family, and sadly, both were often absent from the home. Five-year-old Aletha assumed the role of mother, father, and protector for her brothers Richard and Marty and her sister Noreen. When their parents separated, the children were placed in foster care. In July 1960, the Smith children were sent to live with foster parents Frank and Marianne Wiley, which I was, like, shocked to hear they even went to the same foster home. Yeah. Um, For the first time, the children knew the comfort and security of a stable home. (laughs) They're so nice. So they have an interview with sweet Marianne Wiley. Oh, my gosh. Who describes the children, and she's, like, talking about each of their different little personalities. Like, you can tell she loved them. Yeah. She says, Aletha was just a sweet little girl. They were nice little kids to have. Oh, Just the nicest. The Wileys had a farm, and Stack says it opened up a whole new world for the kids, especially Aletha, who is getting her first real taste of childhood. Aletha says they would play outside all the time. They'd go visit the animals and help feed them or gather eggs. Quote, living at the Wileys was warm and caring. Um, She took care of the meals and the clothes, and that felt good and secure. Oh, my Referring to Mrs. Wiley. Our daughters are going to be five. Can you imagine them taking That is where my mind kept going. Yeah. The whole time I was watching this, I was like five years old with three smaller children. She's making them breakfast. It's horrible. Get like washing their clothes. I mean, oh my gosh. It's horrible. Yeah. Like she was so happy that Mrs. Wiley like took care of the clothes and the meals. Stack says in December 1962, the dream ended. Mrs. Wiley received a call from the children's father saying he wanted to take them back for Christmas. No. But we love Mrs. Wiley because she's like, no, that doesn't seem very good for the children. No. Mm -hmm. They think they're having Christmas here. Let's let them have Christmas here and then we can figure it out. Um, So amazingly, they agreed to let her keep them for Christmas morning and Christmas dinner. And then they would come get the children after that. Not surprisingly, life was the same back at their home. Aletha was left to care for the other children again. But Stack says the situation did not go unnoticed. The neighbors were concerned, so they called the police. Which, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. So the kids were removed again and taken back into the foster care system. Eventually, the children were placed with separate families and lost contact with one another. Why couldn't they have just gone right back to those sweetie, those sweetie family? Probably because once those kids left them, some other kids might have went in, right? Placed with them, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So sad. Uh, Aletha had been sent from foster home to foster home for four years until she was eventually sent back to the Wileys. Mrs. Wiley says they'd called her and asked if she'd remembered Aletha. She said, I sure do. 
and they asked if she'd like to have her back, and she said yes. And within four minutes, she was walking through their front door. But Mrs. Wiley says it took Aletha a while to loosen up. So she explains she expected this, like, warm little girl that she had before, but she had to realize that Aletha had spent her whole life having horrible, horrible experiences. And she was changed. Mm. So... Stack says that Aletha's years in foster care had left her a bitter, temperamental adolescent. She longed to find her natural parents and eventually ran away from the Wileys, which is what? so sad. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you looking for those people? They're terrible people. Like, That's what? just what kids do. It's so sad. Yeah. Uh, it's just heartbreaking. Like, how much more abuse can this girl have suffered at the parents that, like, didn't care about her and then only took her back to serve their ego. I I think, right. The dad wasn't like, come back, I've learned my lesson. He was like, come back and let's have it be the exact same way. Poor girl. I think some kids just hope that if they could just see who I am and that they will love me and they'll change. Oh my God. That is like, uh, this segment is very triggering and it is like, just heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah, like she, I mean, somewhere in her mind, being with her real family was going to be the best, best thing, thing, even though it was going to work the out. Worst thing. Yeah. 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 So Aletha, who's only like a teenager, saves her allowances and saves up $21. Her plan was, was to go to Sand Springs, Oklahoma to find her parents. She says she had an idea that her grandmother lived there. So she bought a bus ticket to Oklahoma. She remembers riding along, having memories of when she was little, and all she could think about was getting there. Aletha traveled more than 600 miles to Sand Springs, Oklahoma. With nowhere to go, she went to a local church. The minister there agreed to drive Aletha around to try and find the farm that she remembered. And I was like, part of me was like, you're a honey for like hearing her and like helping her. But at the same time, you really should have just taken her to the police. (laughs) Yeah. Also, yeah. It's creepy, kind of. I mean, I don't think he was creepy, but, like, thank goodness it wasn't a bad situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, 600 miles. What is she, like, 13 years old or something? 12 Yeah, something old? like that. So Stack says the two drove around for several hours looking for the farm Aletha remembered, but to no avail. And in the thing, she's like, no, it was bigger than that. Yeah. And it's like, honey, you were honey. five. Yeah. You don't remember <laughs> no. how big it was. Everything was big. How yeah. were you paying attention? You were too busy washing and cooking for your family. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100. <sighs> so late that afternoon, the minister finally did drop Aletha off at the local police station. They identified her as a runaway, and she went back into foster care again. But I don't know why she didn't just go back to I the Wileys. It would be years until Aletha would be reunited with her real parents, but she never found her brothers Richard and Marty or her sister Noreen. So Aletha, in the interview with Tears in Her Eyes, says, It's like reading a good book, and you get a phone call and you have to rush off to work, and you have to put that book down. Most people know they can come back to that book. I've never gone back, and I want to know. I want to know. It's so sad. It's too sad. So that's the end of the segment. This segment was part of the February 1991 episode. And thanks to viewer tips, Aletha has been reunited with her siblings. Yay! But the facts behind the reunion were kept secret from the broadcast, and the reunion was not filmed because of the emotional pain that Aletha had gone through in her siblings' childhood. 
So she was just, you know, UM, of course, is probably like, we'll film it. Let's do this. And she was like, no. Yeah, they were probably like, we'll pay for you to fly out there. Yep. So that being said, like, Aletha asked for her privacy, so I couldn't find a ton of information. Mm -hmm. Um, I did find one news article that had a photo of her getting pinned when she first graduated nursing school. Oh, Because her class was the first class to ever graduate from that school. Um, So that was cute. It was like a big photo of her getting her little pin. And I did find Aletha today Mm -hmm. on Facebook. Um, She's 65 and lives in Colorado. She is still a nurse. If I'm piecing everything together correctly, it seems like um, she was married for a while, had three children, was divorced, and is now remarried. Okay. Um, Because I found... A last name she has used before, a man around her age with that last name, Mm -hmm. and then three people around my age with Mm -hmm. also that last name. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then one of those people, I can confirm via Facebook, is her daughter. Okay. Okay. So it appears that she and that daughter have a really great relationship, um, and she's also a grandma. Mm -hmm. And I think she's a grandma of at least three. Um, so she's created her own family, which is just so nice. Um, and she looks super happy. She posts like recipes and stuff on Facebook. Um, I could not confirm that I found any of her siblings. Interesting. Part of that is because their name at the point of being put into foster care was Smith. And I'm sure they probably got new last names because I found one person that I thought was maybe Richard, Mm -hmm. but the dates didn't quite match up correctly Mm -hmm. and then i tried to like snoop her facebook for pictures with them but it's only her profile pictures that you can see so it's mostly just her her with her grandkids but Mm -hmm. but yeah so that's it because she she wanted her life to be private yeah so that's totally fine good yeah so i hope she's still in contact with the siblings but i don't know yeah i mean who knows what those people who you were so young with, they could be completely different adults. And it's understandable. There's a lot of pain there. Yeah. The trauma. Absolutely. And we've seen ones before, too, where different siblings had different ideas of how that childhood was. Yeah. Oh, Oh, gosh. Or, yeah, which parent was abusive or not. Or Or whether or not it was even abuse. I mean, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, I have goosebumps. Yeah. Good these job. last loves are just whoosh, oh my the trauma gosh. that these kids are subjected to is, um, in, it's just oh god, it's yeah, yeah. But I'm glad she found them either way because I'm sure that gave her some sort of closure on yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So nice work. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, so things to share and feel. I know Allison and I have a similar one, but I'll pull another one out. What do you have, Allison? Ooh, ooh, I have the podcast called The Apology Line by Wondery, which can't stop making amazing podcasts. Can't stop. (laughs) I just love them so much. Um, So it's about... One of my favorite things in the world, the nineteen late 1970s, early 1980s in New York City, in the village, a man hangs up flyers advertising a phone number with a uh, essentially an answering machine, and it's called the Apology Line, and you can call and apologize anonymously. And the podcast is essentially hosted by his uh, wife, Marissa, and it's sort of about... It's advertised as what if a killer called into this apology line. It's a story of how this apology line is born and then affects their lives throughout its existence. It is so, it's so good. I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really good. And it's like the story of basically how art can turn into its own thing that the Mm -hmm. artist didn't ever expect. And... Because they're both artists um, in different formats. So, yeah, it's really good. I recommend also. Yay! I love when that happens. I know. It's fun. (laughs) Um, I have one from Wondery also. And y'all, you have to listen to it. You have to. You have to. And it's not a choice. And the next time I see you, you better have listened to it. The podcast is the Thai Cave Rescue, which oh is I haven't listened, but I already subscribed Girl, to it. Uh, I think the whole podcast is called Against Against the Odds. Against the Odds. And so yeah. they're going to have different stories, but the first story is the Thai Cave Rescue, and Wondery puts it out. I didn't even know about this story. I think it was Me either. 2018. This um, teenage soccer team, but like young teens, like 13. In Thailand, they and their assistant coach go exploring these underwater or these caves, um, and it's like not yet the rainy season, so they think they'll be okay. But the cave gets flooded and they get stuck down there, oh, and it is the no. st- in in an air pocket. I mean, no, in like no, a pocket no, no. where water can't get to. It is so incredible. Mm. I and there's still episodes coming out. I can't wait till the next one comes out. I think there's three or four out by the at the time we're recording this, y'all. It's I can't wait to talk to you about it. It's so good. And there's a documentary either out or coming out about it too. It's just amazing. So they involve these um, English divers because there are not that many like world class divers in the world. So they often have to like pull from other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, And Oh, it's so amazing. It's and and don't look anything up about it, but no, I won't say it. What? Y'all, you got to just listen. It's okay, so good. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> cool. I love it. Terrifying, but cool. 
Oh my gosh, um, it's so sad. Oh my god, you just need to watch The Descent, and then you will never go near a cave. Oh, oh no. no, I've still never seen that movie. I haven't either. I know it's one of your tops. It's my tops. I love it. Is that um, the one where he cuts his head hand off? No, 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 oh, no, no. But that's... that was also amazing. I don't care about a guy cutting his arm off in a rock. That's oh, I wait. Think. I have seen The Descent. That's like the scary one where there's scary things down there. Yes. yes. And it's that. all like badass ladies and they're yeah. like, yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I finally watched Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Ooh. In its entirety. It took me a while because of a six-day power outage in the middle. Hmm. but um, I liked it. Did you? I didn't finish it. I just watched the first one. Yeah. Not because I didn't like it, just because I wasn't able to get back to it. Yeah. So, I mean, I believe they're going to be covering other topics because the overlaying title is Crime Scene. Um, Mm -hmm. But this one was uh, specifically focusing on the Cecil Hotel and the Elisa Lamb case, Mm. um, which has always been one of my top, like, unsolved mysteries, like, forever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've always pondered this one. I've always had my ideas about what I thought happened. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the the series does a really good job going down all the rabbit holes. What I found fun about it was that they really went into, like, everything that everyone on the internet has ever said and tried to figure oh, that's out. Fun. Oh, that's fun. There were so many weird little details I did not know people were analyzing. Um, huh. And it just made the whole case, like, creepier to me and really, oh, like, more interesting. Um, there was even, like, a person that people suspected for a while um, who ended up having their life ruined by this. But, um, but yeah, at, and, I mean, at the end, they kind of prove, more or less, that one of the theories is likely what happened. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was interesting cool. and fun. Oh, I, have to, I have to finish it. Is it on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I would assume they're going to have more seasons that are on different topics. Um, cool. And just some of the history of the Cecil was interesting to learn, too. Like That general manager. Oh, my God, girl. <laughs> girl. Ride or die for that hotel. Ride <laughs> or die. Know. <laughs> I know. She's like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. She's just like, this is it for me. I, I know. I saw a meme that was like, I hope somebody someday loves me like this woman loves the Cecil Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100. <laughs> yeah, those oh, interviews gosh. with her are great. But anyway. Yeah, I liked it. All right. So this was a big episode. Episode 18 was big. Was what do we have? It was a doos. Some might say it was a beefy. I would never say that. I wouldn't dare. Um, I would say it has gravy on it, honestly. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, what do we have for episode 19? What do we have Well, we're going to keep that mysterious legend party going with The Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Mm. And I have a final appeal segment about Patricia or Patty Stallings. This Mm. case is insane. Yes. Okay, and then segment three is an unexplained death, and it is an Oregon case, Mm y'all. And it's the story of Michael Frankie. I don't know, man. UM is like giving us a bunch of banana stories these last couple episodes. Yeah, they are leveling up as we speak. Mm-hmm. And then I wrap it up with a missing segment um, of Oded Gordon. 
All right. So we will see you then. In the meantime, you can go to patreon.com slash resolve mysteries podcast if you're interested in supporting us there. If you subscribe at the $5 a month level or higher, you'll get ad free episodes, two extra episodes a month and other goodies. To see photos we reference in the episodes, follow us on Instagram at Resolve Mysteries Podcast, on Facebook and Twitter at Resolve the Pod. And don't forget, you can also see extra photos along with a lot of other great things, including our Sharezy Feelzy page on ResolveMysteriesPodcast.com. And you can contact us at ResolveMysteriesPodcast at gmail.com or at our P.O. Box 14005, Portland, Oregon, 97293. Allison, have you visited that P.O. Box recently? Okay. <laughs> so it's just no, still not. it's still overflowing. It's still overflowing with the gifts you've sent. <laughs> Speaking of contacting us send us your stories for listener short stack episodes so we can keep making them the only thing we ask is that you send more than a link and maybe put your own narrative spin on things so we can because we care about all of you so we love to hear why you care about this story and we want you to tell us the story Mm-hmm. we want uh, you to do the work for us so <laughs> But it could really be anything, including your nostalgia around the show that we all love, um, any cold case, any mystery, any thoughts on recent cases we've covered, especially some of the ones from this last episode. We, uh, yeah. Oh my it's gosh. just the three of us. We want to hear what other people think. So. <laughs> we don't like really know that much. We're wondering. <laughs> We're idiots. <so. laughs> Um, and then last but not least, subscribe, please, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like us, leave a five-star review and tell a friend. It really helps us out. And for every review we receive, we donate a dollar to an organization. And this month's is Gems. And we love ya. We sure do love ya. We do. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Like, I will not think about the Incas. No, no. Wait, what (laughs) specifically about the Incas? Just like if you're thinking of like hard times to like make a fucking farm happen. (laughs) Why? But why? Let's go all the way back. Yeah, let's keep going. I'm just saying, people have been doing this since the dawn of time. She's like, yo, the Dark Ages? That was disgusting. (laughs) Honey, think about the Incas. And yes, it's the cultural group that I will keep bringing up, the Incas. Could have been so many options. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's my hell, and I'm so glad to be born when I was. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.